Okay, let's take a look at how to start a leadership training group. Five steps. This is the way often you will start cell group ministry. First, recruit several apprentice leaders, and you form them into a group. You may also include some new Christians in there. Then model good group dynamics. Now, here is the, here is the key principle to keep in mind. Only use methods that any ordinary person can do. I was talking with one pastor one time, and he said, we have five Bible study groups. Uh, maybe it was only three, now that I remember the conversation. And he says, we're having trouble getting new groups started. I said, well, who leads the groups? He said, I lead one, and I have two other elders that are very capable teachers, and they lead the, lead the others. I said, let me talk to me about your group. Do you bring into the discussion what the meaning of the Greek words are behind the text? Why, sure. I said, your group will never reproduce. He says, why not? I said, nobody can do as good a job as you can do. It would be very threatening. You would have to have a seminary education. In fact, the other two leaders had Bible school or seminary in their background as well. What person would ever want to try to lead a group if that's the standard they had to match? Now, let me bring this down to a very simple level. My wife starts support Christ-centered support groups for people with various kinds of problems. Uh, they may have problem managing anger or overcome uh, uh, sexual abuse or an addiction of various sorts, any number. Of she starts the groups, and she often does not know when she starts the group. She advertises it. She often doesn't know who the leader is going to be. Here's how she leads the first meeting. She is sitting in the group, and she has a piece of paper. And on this piece of paper is written out what she needs to say. And she says, Hello, my name is Janet, and welcome to our group on managing anger. Let's begin by reading the Serenity Prayer together. She has this script on one page, see a little bit on the back, and she simply reads what's there. Now, my wife starts 20 of these groups or more a year. She could do this without looking. I know, I've heard her in her sleep. Hey Hello, guys. my name is Janet. Welcome to... <laughs> <laughs> now, the first day, first night, she spots who the leader is going to be. She has a gift of discernment. And she asks this person at the end of the first meeting, would you mind facilitating the meeting next week? And the person says, sure, no problem. Because all you have to do is read. And the person says... Und die Person sagt, das kann ich auch. And I don't even need to look at the paper to know what my name is. <laughs> the philosophy that says this. If you can read, you can lead. <laughs> By the third, after the third meeting, she goes, the group continues on. She starts the group finds a leader, trains a leader, raises up the leader, and does it all in three weeks. Now, to do this for a cell group requires a little bit more than three weeks. These kinds of groups are very structured and have very much of a process to them. And so the group pretty much leads itself, and it's not a problem. Nor are they counseling groups or therapy groups or anything like that. But the point is, only use methods that any ordinary person can do. How is it that John Wesley was able to have a great movement 
with people who sometimes could hardly read or not read at all. They had structure in their groups so that any ordinary person could do it. Now, the secret of those groups was the fact that God was in the midst changing people's lives. That's what made it powerful. But what made it reproducible was the fact that they had a simple structure that anybody could do. And alongside of those leaders, they had a very extensive coaching system that helped them and kept continuing to train them and working with them. And a good portion of the United States was even evangelized, flowing out of the Wesley Revival from England. Led, by the way, through lay people. Number three, mobilize for evangelism from the beginning. Now, this is a very, very important point. Whatever you do in your leadership cell becomes a part of the genetic code that will be reproduced. So right from the very beginning, from the very first week, you have that time of vision and beginning to help them to reach out to their network of people that are not yet Christians. If you don't do it in the leadership cell, it won't happen after they start their groups. But if these leaders in training begin doing that while they're in this leadership cell, then they will more naturally do that as they go out to start their group. If those leaders are unwilling to reach out wenn to aber, those that are not yet Christians, you want to discover that before you appoint them as leaders. And so therefore, that is a test of their, their willingness to, to be a part of these values and say, this is important. We're gonna, they don't have to be perfect at doing it, they just have to be trying. Number four is to allow the leaders in training to gain hands-on experience. You would say, why don't you lead the icebreaker next week? And someone else, would you, re would you lead the, uh, the worship time? And you get different people to do different components so they don't have responsibility of the whole thing. They just do little pieces of it. And in a leadership cell, you would have opportunity to do some evaluation, starting, of course, with lots and lots of positive affirmation, and then to debrief together in terms of what might, what's one thing that might have been... That's the hands-on experience process. And then release leaders to form new cell groups. Okay. What I'd like to have you do is, is take about 10 minutes... And I would like to say, take, reflect on what you've experienced so far today and say, what might God be saying to us regarding moving toward the notion of cell life or its a functional equivalence? For instance, let's take a look at a group that looks like this. What kind of a group is that? That's a Bible study group, isn't it? What is that? That could be like a support group I was describing that my wife starts. Disciple-making communities. Many of you already have lots of different kinds of groups that are happening, and you can, you can map them to see what are their functions. There, there are really two kinds of groups. You could have what we call in English nurture groups, or you have task groups. Hmm. A task group might be a worship band, for instance, or some sort of a group that goes out and, and uh, does ministries in the community. So one thing you can do is you can say, well, what are, the, what are the functions that are happening in these groups, and how could they become more effective? One of the things that we had happen in, in our meetings with our church leaders is we would give about a third of the meeting would be sharing in personal relationships and in prayer. And then there would be a time in, in training, and then the last half would be the, the business or the deciding. I would suggest Dana. to you that that type of, of circle for a leadership group actually is more cell-like than one that is just all deciding. 
So you can ask this, ask yourself the question, what can we be doing to move us in the direction that we need to be moving in, in terms of proportion of how we spend our time? But the, even, even the task groups can be involved in disciple-making. For instance, the worship team does primarily practicing for preparation for the worship. But they also spend a little time in study. They spend more time in prayer. And they even have a vision to reach out to others. Who would be logical candidates for these musicians in the worship team to reach out to? How about other musicians that are not yet Christians? So even a ministry-oriented group that primarily serves in the church can have a disciple-making function as a part of its group. So I hope this gives you a little bit of hope to realize that you can start where you are and start moving from where you are to where you need to be. And so cell groups come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. Okay, I have time for two questions. One of the questions you have to ask is how really important are the starting of cell groups in the life and health of your church for the long term? If it is truly important, then you will want to find those that you want, that you believe God is calling into this ministry to help them get freed up out of the ministries they're in so that they can devote their time and energy to what it is God is calling them to. So I'd refer you to the notes that we talked about on church management of how to, to focus time and energy and determine and delegate. Okay, one more question. In my opinion, yes. The reason is that cell group leaders are helping to carry out the shepherding responsibility through the context of the group, and I would certainly want them to be tied in in terms of a commitment of submission to the leadership of the church. On occasion, we have had somebody helping someone who was not a leader, not a member yet, but always the leader of the group was always a member. And that's a valid answer where a church has membership. There are some churches, of course, that don't have membership, and then you need to figure out some other criteria to determine who can and can't be. I get the impression you all have members, and so therefore I'd say that would be a definite yes. Okay, I want to, I want to tell you, um, I got two minutes here. I want to tell, has nothing to do with anything. You've been such a good audience today, Smith. You already know that I, that I'm a student of Chinese wisdom literature. I have two other, I have two other collections. One is international humor, defined as jokes that will be told, could be told in any culture and they would be found to be funny in any culture. Very few jokes go across cultures well. I came across one in Denmark I want to share. There was a Danish guy that had this special dog. This dog had the ability to walk on water. And he was from Copenhagen, and he went to Jutland to go duck hunting with someone. And they shot the first duck, and this dog runs across the top of the water, gets the duck, and runs back across the top of the water. And the guy didn't say anything, didn't even seem to be uh, that impressed. All day long, this duck was running. This dog was running across the top of the water to get the ducks and bring them back. Finally, at the end of the day, this guy, the other guy who was watching this, comes up to this guy that I'm, had the special I'm dog. This. He said, he point, taps him on the shoulder like this. Hey, you, you with the dog that cannot swim. Well, to get to the uh, to the last session on the ten principles. I, I don't feel badly about that because many of the ten principles we've already unpacked by what we've done all week. And if you want more detail, it's, it's, that's the outline of the Beyond Church Growth book. Now, for the sake of completeness, we'll probably just look at that page at the end and say, there it is. And all the points are obvious, so I'm sure you understand. That way we complete all the material. And some of you are concerned about that. you know. I, and I, I tried to put too much information into this week. I tried to give everything I could, and it's beyond... Uh, 
And uh, you are you are an amazing audience, by the way. We could never do an American audience and work them this hard. They would rebel. As, a, as an audience, uh, I find that, uh, that Germans are far more serious uh, students. And they have a, an attention span that's more than 15 minutes. 